some things. But first of all, if, if, the, if you're a mom in this room, could you just stand up for a second? Moms, grandmas. Yes, okay. So give him another hand. Love it. Let's extend, as, as we do, let's extend our hands and our hearts towards the moms in this place and just pray over them. Jesus, we honor you for moms. We thank you for this day that we have to be able to celebrate moms, but we know, of course, that we have to celebrate moms every day. What they bring, the nurturing that they bring, the reflection of who you are, the way that they carry life and the way that they nurture life, we honor them and we appreciate them. And we just say, Lord, would you pour out your spirit upon every mom in this house? That they wouldn't just be physical moms, but they would also be spiritual moms, that they would believe and see that they have so much to carry, so much to give, so much to lay out before those of us who need to receive from them. We thank you for every life that they represent for the families that they represent, for the stories that they represent. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to do a work, continue to do a work for generations because of their hearts poured out and surrendered to you. We thank you for who they are. We thank you for their role that they play in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, moms. Have a seat. So this is the part about, this is the part about Mother's Day that, that is wonderful. I love to say happy Mother's Day to moms, but then I also cannot help but think about those who are in this room who have desire to be moms. Those in, those in this room who have struggles with their relationships with their mom, where Mother's Day is like, oh, yay, Mother's Day. And it doesn't feel like a day of celebration. It feels like a day of reminded, I'm being reminded of the struggle of that relationship. Or if we're, if we're moms and we have broken relationship with maybe our sons and daughters, or we're carrying deep heaviness for the, for the way that our sons and daughters are walking out their life. Like Mother's Day on one hand is a beautiful opportunity to celebrate moms, it's also a beautiful opportunity for us as a community to sit in the reality and the tension that comes when we say, let's celebrate moms, but let's also understand that there are people in this room who are seeing Mother's Day as a place of prayer. It's a place almost of lament. It's a place of believing and, and contending for a better future or a different story than the one that they're currently walking out. And I want you to know that I honor that and I feel that and I don't want you to feel alone in that place. This can be a day of joy and it can be a day of grief. And one of the things that I know can cause that grief is the broken relationships or the strained or challenging relationships that we have with moms or moms with kids or however it may be. And so I wanted to take a moment as we talk about that to circle back a little bit to the, yeah, nope, you're not in a business meeting and I'm not the CEO and I just use circle back, but we're gonna circle back. We're gonna circle back to something uh, that we talked about last week and that is navigating relational disconnect. Um, in Galatians 2, we talked about this, this moment that we see in the chapter where Paul calls out Peter and there's this relational disconnect that happens between them. And, and I shared with you as I was studying how, as I was studying that passage, I just felt the intensity of that right, relational disconnect. And I felt the sadness of that. And was just trying to 
wrestle with that as I began to prepare for the message. And I, and I studied and I understood why Paul had to do what he did and in that place where he was standing for the purity of the gospel in that moment of relational disconnect. But I still came away from that, feeling that sadness. I feel the sadness of relationships within churches that are strained. I feel the sadness within the body of Christ where there's people who are fighting each other instead of fighting for the kingdom. And there's so much reality in that arena alone. And then if you add in the things I just mentioned where like familial relationships and mothers and fathers and and friendships and all the different things that we have of places where I know that we carry sadness or pain around disconnected relationships and 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 I felt God's heart to just say I want to I want to to import my purposes into people's lives in the area of relationships and I want to rewrite some of these stories but we don't get to that rewriting without first sitting in some of the sadness and admitting that there is these places of pain these pain points that we have to stand in But I am believing, as I shared last week, that God's heart for his bride, God's heart for his people, God's heart for his church, that we would be reconciled relationally to one another and that we would then be able to carry the message of reconciliation to the world around us. It rings hollow, and I'm not up here just being a jerk, but I'm gonna tell you that it rings really hollow when we say we carry the ministry of reconciliation that the Father has given to us through Jesus when we don't demonstrate any sort of relational connectedness within the body of Christ. When we struggle to do the basics of reconciliation in our house, how are we gonna go out into the world and say we have something to offer you that is life-changing? It's reconciliation when we are not doing it ourselves. And so it begins with us. It begins with us saying, God, I wanna look at the relationships that are broken in my life. I wanna look at the relationships that are strained in my life. I wanna begin to be a person of reconciliation right here, right now, so that I have this message to carry well. And what we did last week is, and I know I told you guys that I was gonna get rid of this basket of names. I was like, hey, come put these names in here. And we had them up front and people just prayed and it was beautiful and we had communion and we wrote down these unreconciled or strained and challenging relationships that we were confronting. And, and I, I said, I'll throw these out. And I wasn't truthful because I came to it this week and I just wanted to read through them. And uh, no, I didn't. I'm so, I'm totally kidding. I'm kidding. But Kim was in there a lot, you guys. Um, no. Uh, oh, there she is. Hey. I'm, I'm totally kidding. Nobody touched these. Nobody looked at these. They have been, they, they, <laughs> uh, but it felt so sacred to me. Honestly, every time I would come this week to look at these and go, I should get rid of those. It just broke my heart. And I began to pray and I would look at this, the names and the stories and the lives. And as I said, I'm not pulling them out and reading them, but I know the representation of this, of all of these lives and these painful moments and places and relationships. And I was like, I can't just throw that out, Lord. You're still doing something. And that's where I begin to unpack this of like, God, you have a few more things that you wanna say to us about unreconciled relationships. And I didn't wanna move on too quickly into Galatians 3 without taking a few minutes just to speak to a little bit more of these unreconciled or these strained or challenging relationships that we have. And I wanna pray again over the names and the situations in this basket because you've put them in here. And also for those of you that haven't, just representative of those that you might be carrying this morning as you've come into this place, if you weren't here with us last week. And I, and I don't want you to ever feel like because you have, as I said, I'm not 
scolding you. Like if I say, hey, if we want to carry a message of reconciliation, we have to first be people of reconciliation in our own lives, right? You don't hear me scolding you. I'm not saying you're not doing enough. You're not measuring up. You need to fix this or you need to fix that because I understand that relationships are so hard. And I'm not saying you can't have an opinion. You can't disagree with people. We have to always get along and we have to always agree on everything or every relationship has to be perfect all the time. That is absolutely not the reality, but the broken, the ongoing broken relationship that is not coming back together and is probably getting further and further apart is not God's heart for us, especially if it's between believers within the body of Christ. But I don't know every situation. I don't know every situ uh, or every solution. And I don't know people's hearts. I know that every story in this basket, every life, every situation that has occurred that is represented in this basket is unique and each circumstance is different and every response that we are to have to this is different for every one of us. And so while I don't know what to do and I don't know people's hearts, I do know that God's kingdom doesn't benefit when we divide over lesser things. As I said, Peter and Paul, Paul confronted Peter over the purity of the gospel. That is the greater thing. The truth of Jesus Christ is the greater thing. So often we find ourselves arguing and disconnecting over much lesser things. And I know that it doesn't do God's kingdom justice or benefit when we divide over lesser things. I do know that God's kingdom doesn't grow when we make each other the enemy instead of the enemy the enemy. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? But I've watched over the last several years how we fight each other over so many things, so many lesser things than the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know it's easy to talk about unity and relational connectedness and reconciliation in 2023, right? We're a year and a half from an election. This is about the only time that people might listen to this message. And that is heartbreaking for me. I'm gonna be totally honest with you guys. If there is one thing that is gonna cause me to stop doing what I'm doing, it is going to be having to go through another election cycle. Like the, the things that I've walked through and remained in this place and like I am vibrant and alive even though I've walked through the most difficult of things. I am already dreading, and I'm just being honest with you guys. I am already dreading walking through 2024 in the election cycle. I don't know if I'm gonna make it through as a pastor. I don't know if I'll be on the other side pastoring this church. It is that difficult to figure out how to walk through when you're watching the body of Christ devour each other and splinter and split up over lesser things when you've poured out your life to bring a body together in Christ and you watch people walk away over politics instead of Jesus. Nobody left this church because of how I was preaching Jesus. People left this church because I wasn't mimicking and parroting their preferred political agenda and stance. That's why we lost people. It wasn't because we weren't good at relationship. It wasn't because we weren't proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. It wasn't because we weren't teaching the purity of the word. How can we say that we value his kingdom above all else when we're willing to break relationship with each other over political stuff? And I get, I get it. Yeah, I'm not, now I'm gonna, all right, never mind. Look, just, for you, just pray for me, all right? I'll pray, for, I'll pray for you guys. I'll pray for you guys. And we will fight this year and in the coming years 
Knowing what I know about how I feel about walking into an election cycle, we are going to approach it very, very differently. And there will be many more nights of prayer and fasting and worship and preparation and just coming back to the central thing, even when we're feeling that pull to separate with people that we love because we've got to walk into it with our eyes and hearts open this time. I do know, I don't know everybody's heart and every story in this basket, but I do know that throwing away a relationship with other believers is not the way. And I do know that keeping our hearts right towards others is the most Christ-like way. I wanna tell you something, as I've said, it's Mother's Day and I wanted to do something to honor my mom, um, who's not here this morning, she's just going through some health stuff and, and um, but I just wanna honor her because I, I was thinking about this, this message on relational reconciliation. I was thinking about this message on, uh, on walking out um, a Christ-likeness in our relationship with others. And I was just so deeply thankful for my mom as I looked back over my childhood and I cannot remember a single time that my mom in our house gossiped, undercut people, spoke badly of a person in the entirety of my years that I spent with her because she was very good at hiding it. No, I'm just kidding. So I honor you, Mom, for being so good at hiding things. I kid you not. Um, I kid you not. I can remember one memory that is formative in my mind where she was on a phone call and she was getting reamed out about something by someone who was upset with her. And when she got off the phone, she apologized to me and said, I'm sorry, but that woman was a blank. Just, no, it's totally fine because it was true. And so <laughs> that is formative in my brain because that is the single time that I can remember my mom saying something bad about somebody else in my hearing. That I can remember my mom gossiping and she wasn't gossiping. I just don't have any memory of that in my home. And I am so deeply thankful where a home where contention and division and talking about people, whether Christian or not Christian, was non-existent. And I learned to honor people. I learned to believe the best about people. And I learned to pray for people. And I don't know, I really don't know as I'm thinking about her on this Mother's Day, I don't know how to quantify how deeply that has impacted my life and the way that I treat others. But I want that for my kids and I want that for every single one of us. And if you didn't grow up with that, that's okay because you can start now and we can make that the atmosphere around our life. And listen, not as a religious experience where you're like, I just don't say anything about anybody because I'm the best. And I have trained myself to, even though I feel the things, I've trained myself to push them back down and never have to deal with them. That's religion. My mom is not religious. My mom has a true heart of gold. And what came out of her in all of these moments was the reality of who she was. And I want us to have that same heart and that same experience. And if it's not something that we experienced growing up, I believe it can be our future for us right now, for our kids, for those and the legacies that we are leaving behind. So I honor you, mom.
for being an incredible, an incredible woman. You could not find someone on this earth who does not like my mom. I challenge you to. I would give you, it's just, it's not possible. So that's what I do, do know. I do know that keeping our hearts right towards others is the most Christ-like way, and that's what my mom modeled for me. If there is breaks in our relationships, as we're talking about reconciliation and disconnected relationships, my heart is that it wouldn't be us. We wouldn't be the ones who are causing that severe breakage within a relationship. Romans 12, 18, this is Paul still talking to us. It is, if it is possible, or talking to the Romans, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live, live at peace with everyone. And we understand that peace is not the absence of conflict, but it is the condition and the connection of our heart to other people and how we feel when we are in that person's presence. There's a difference between just saying like, oh, my relationships are at peace because I don't have any conflict, right? I can walk into a room with people who do not like me and I can walk into there and I can say there's peace between us. Why? Because we're not actively fighting, right? But if you ask me, how do I feel? I feel agitated. I feel anxiety. I feel disconnection. That's not peace. I don't feel peace. And so peace isn't just that we are not fighting one another. Literally being at peace is the how you are allowing the Spirit of God, how you are carrying the Spirit of God, how you are manifesting the Spirit of God into those places so that you are not feeling that disconnect even as you are in those places. So you can show up well and love people well. But how do I make peace? How do I come to this place of peace, you ask? Here's a few things that I jotted down for us to think about. One of them is this. Don't burn the bridges of relationship between people, especially those who walk away from you. If as far as it is possible for us, we are not going to be the ones who are instigating the brokenness of a relationship. What do we do when there is brokenness in relationship? We don't burn the bridge down. We don't do scorched earth relationship. Fine, you want to walk away from me? Here, and pour gas on the bridge and throw the match on it and go, there you go. How do you like me now? Go have your life. I will go have mine. That is the best feeling in the world, right? <laughs> it really is. Like somebody, somebody wrongs you and you can just be like, okay, cool. So that's how we're doing this? Fine. You are dead to me. Like, that feels so good. But as I said a few weeks ago, Jesus is bringing us into a kingdom that's different, and we don't want his kingdom. It doesn't feel good to be hurt by someone or to be judged by someone or for people to believe something not untrue about you or to make assessments of you and to walk out of your life in a brokenness, in a broken way, and for you to say, I'm choosing not to blow up that bridge. I'm choosing to keep that bridge open. That is the kingdom that we have to struggle to get our hearts and our minds to grab onto because we don't naturally want it. We naturally want to burn the bridge. We do not like protecting the bridge for the opportunity for restorative relationship to come back. And that's what I want us to do. The way that we keep the bridge from being burned down is we respond in the opposite spirit, an attack with grace. Accusations, we respond with integrity. People believe the worst about us, we choose to believe the best about them. People speak terribly about us, we choose not to speak about them. People attack us and slander us, we bless them, we pray for them, we release them, and we do not live under their assumption of who we are or what we're like. And we rest in 
who we know that we are and who God says that we are. The way that we go after peace in our relationships, even if there's conflict, by not burning the bridges, by responding in the opposite spirit, by holding the bridge open. Sometimes we don't get to go into their territory or into their life. It would be presumptuous of us to go. It would almost be, sometimes it's even violating for us to go into someone's life who has said, I'm not ready, I don't want relationship with you, I don't have space for you, that's what, whatever, that's fine. They're doing their thing. I'm not gonna burn the bridge, I'm not gonna judge them, I'm not gonna respond in the same way that they've treated me, but I'm also gonna step onto that bridge and ask the Lord, Lord, I'm gonna hold this bridge open until you direct me on what to do with it, but I'm gonna hold it open relationally for that return to come. I'm believing like the prodigal son that there will be a place within relationships where those of us who have chosen to hold open bridges of relationship, even ones that are painful, not in a, in a, not in a codependent way where we're running after them, but just standing confidently in that place where relationship could be severed and we're choosing to say, God, I'm standing here with you, demonstrating your heart, believing that there will come a day when that relationship comes over the horizon and I see it returning to me. And instead of having to be like, oh shoot, they're coming back. I better start rebuilding this bridge. They will find a bridge that has been held open, that has been cleared and a place for them to cross back into relationship with me and me with them. And that's a powerful reality of what God is asking us to do. Another way that we can contend for peace and not burn these bridges down is to invite perspective to come. And as we invite perspective, I would hope that something would shift in our minds and our hearts towards that person. Take the person in your mind that you are the most angry, well, to, if you can this morning right now without, without going into a dark place or finding somebody in your heart or your mind that you, are, that you are very hurt by or very frustrated by. And I want you to spend this week just holding those people in your hearts and your hands before the Lord and saying, God, give me your perspective on this person because I know what my perspective is. They did this, they did that, this is what happened, this is what they said, therefore, this, 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 and this. That is our perspective, and I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm not saying that every person who violates you gets to come back in and, and, and have access to your life and heart. That's not what I'm saying, but when we have that place of someone who has broken relationship with us and we're angry, we can hold them in a certain perspective, but as we put that person before the Lord, I believe that the Spirit of God wants to shift the perspective that we have towards that person or towards what God is doing in their life or towards sympathy for the fact that what happened very well could have been that they were just functioning with the tools that they had and the tools that they were given from childhood. And as our perspective begins to shift, grace can begin to go out towards people who previously we were holding in a posture of defensiveness towards them or anger towards them. And I'm not saying it's a quick fix. I'm simply saying that God has a different perspective often on our broken relationships than we do. And that God has a different story often than the one that we're reciting and telling ourselves over and over and over and over again. Even if your story isn't wrong, what if instead of repeating the truth of that story, you begin to repeat the truth of what Jesus was, is wanting to do in that relationship? And then what do we do to find that place of peace? We pursue reconciliation. Now listen, not for reconciliation's sake. Now that's a religious merit badge that we're like, I'm reconciled with everybody in my life. Like, I, I, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about actually understanding the value of the person, the value of the relationship, or the value of how healthy it is for me to not have a dozen broken, or not to have a dozen broken relationships around my life right now. 
that there is value and that there is health in pursuing and seeking the reconciliation that God has for us beyond just saying, I checked the religious boxes and I don't have anybody in my life who's upset with me. Good for me. But to actually value the person, value the relationship or value the growth that God wants to give to you as you open your heart to forgiveness. Because this is the thing, as I pursue reconciliation, I can sit with my list of people who I'm waiting for to come back across that bridge. Like, oh, look, I'm doing, I'm doing so good. I'm just sitting here waiting for those people to come back across the bridge. Or I can present that list to the Lord and proactively be praying for them and, and, and ministering to their hearts and blessing them as, as we are told to do in Scripture. So I can take the posture of just waiting. I've done the right thing. I'm just sitting here waiting for them. Now the ball is in their court. Or I can understand that keeping the right perspective allows me to pray, to fast, to contend, to offer forgiveness, to offer repentance for maybe my part that I played in it, and to continue to move forward, even if I'm not able to move forward in relationship with that person at that time. Another thing that we can do is just to let his conviction kindle in our hearts. This is what I've been asking the Lord for. One, that these relationships would be healed. Two, that the pain that we are feeling in those relationships would be diminished and that we would begin to feel whole again and we would begin to feel hope again. I'm also praying for conviction to rest on us, to break our hearts for the disconnect, to break our hearts for the, for the, for the pain that maybe we have caused or that we have participated in and that we would allow conviction of the Holy Spirit to kindle in our hearts and that we are asking the Lord to start with us as people of reconciliation, that we would carry humility and that we would long for healing and that we would long for unity throughout his body and throughout our lives and throughout our relationships, that we at the end of the day could be like Peter to bring it full circle, who later on in his writing said this of Paul, who they had this falling out and this place of deep contention. But in 2 Peter 3, Peter says this of Paul, and I count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. I love that little part of scripture where you hear Peter honoring and saying, I love Paul. Something has transpired in their relationship where they contended for reconciliation to be able to come to a place where we don't see two deep fractions of the church, but we see one church under Jesus continuing to grow because of these men and their hearts for reconciliation to the place where Peter could say, I love Paul. He is beloved to me. And as we seek that conviction to kindle our heart within this place of relationship, we can ask these questions about relational connection. What would you have me give, Lord? What do I need to lay down? Is it the person? Is it a preferred future? Is it the relationship as a whole? Is it an offense that I am carrying? How do I need to forgive this person? And I know that this is, this is like thin ice when I'm talking about these things. I know there's so much more to unpack and I don't mean to simplify it. But when we carry unforgiveness, it doesn't hurt the person. It hurts us, right? We understand that. Wayne Cadero says that unforgiveness is like what, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person's gonna get sick, right? We have to understand that forgiveness is, does something first inside of us long before it ever does anything in any exchange that we might have for that person. But for us to say, God, what would you have me give to see this relationship reconciled? What would you have me lay down? Is the person needing to be released to you? Is the relationship needing to be released to you? Is there an offense that I need to release to you? And then God, what would you have me do? 
pray, trust, wait, reach out, repent. There's not a specific pathway of how you are to go forward. To come before the Lord and say, bring conviction, let me interact with that. I'm asking you, what do I need to release? What do I need to relinquish? What do I need to lay down? And then I'm asking you, how do I need to go about it? Because I am not going to assume instructions from the Holy Spirit ever. I want to be able to say, as you are leading me to forgive, I now want to ask you, how am I to forgive? Because if the Lord says forgive and you immediately pack that with a whole story of how that has to look for you without actually asking the Lord, what does that look like right here, right now for me to forgive or to begin the journey of forgiveness? We want inconvenient conviction. Right, We want to be people who can say, God, I'm willing to be interrupted by you at any time with your conviction. And if we don't have that heart, then what we have is this place where like, oh, you can intersect with me on my morning times or you can intersect with me at my Sunday church times. But other than that, I don't wanna be bothered by your conviction. If we truly want inconvenient conviction, and what I mean by that is the openness of God to meet us right in the middle of our life, right in the middle of our day, right in the middle of our argument, right in the middle of our gossip about that person, that conviction would fall on us. The problem with in inconvenient conviction is that it requires inconvenient obedience. It means that I have to be able to say, okay, God, what is it that I have to do? Where do I have to go? What is the conversation that I have to have? I'll tell you a little story uh, that, that illustrates this, a small little story. I coach um, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade flag football, and, um, and our team is awesome. <laughs> and the other night, and I, and, I, and, I and I taught them to have this pretty fast offense, right? Speed speed offense. And, um, and so what we do is when we turn the ball over, we get the ball back, we run up to the line and we run our play quickly. And, um, and I was coaching against a friend of mine, another believer, and we're there. And, and, and so the, the ball is turned over and, and their team is like huddling up to get their defense ready. And I go, guys, run, go, 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 like get out there and, and do the speed that we taught you. It's an advantage to go fast, right? Oregon Ducks back in the good days. <laughs> and my friend got very frustrated with what we had done. And I wasn't intending it to be, you know, Bush League or anything like that. I was just doing what I do. And, um, and uh, <laughs> the thing about the round is that people laugh when I turn around and then I'm like, who's over there? And everyone's like, he was like, yeah, yeah, right, like you weren't trying to be Bush League. Like, so he's all, <laughs> I don't know who it was, but. Um, and I, I really wasn't intending, but it made him very frustrated. And so in the middle of the game, um, things got a little, bit, a little bit heated. And so I just, I just stayed in that. And I was like, okay, that was, that was not great. Um, we both love Jesus. We're both, we're friends and. And, uh, and we have kids on sports teams together and, and, and all of that. And so I just was like, man, that's, that's super hard. So I, I tried to talk to him a little bit later in the game as we were crossing paths, no, no luck. And, um, and so then I tried to, to, sh to shake his hand after the game and he wasn't having any of that either. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so at this point, I'm like, clearly, clearly I am in the right and this guy is in the wrong, right? <laughs> No, I'm, I'm kidding. It's not that. It's that 
I had tried three times to just be like, hey, can we talk about this? Like, I want to, I just want to make sure we're good, make sure we're cool. And it, and it wasn't happening, right? And, and uh, you know, there's nothing like kids sports to really get adults fired up. <laughs> and I could have walked off the field. It was raining. It was cold. I could have walked off the field and said, I did my part, uh, whatever. And, and the Lord's conviction just said, no, this matters. It matters to me and it matters. Therefore, it needs to matter to you. And I'm not telling you this like, oh, I was the bigger person or anything like that. But what I chose to do was like, okay, Lord, inconvenient conviction requires inconvenient obedience. It would have been so much more convenient to be like, hey, boys, let's go, to the, let's go get out of the rain. Let's go home and let's get out of here. But I just stood out there in the rain waiting for him to finish his conversations that he was having. And, and then I just stepped up in front of him and I was like, man, I really, I just want to apologize. I understand how that would have been frustrating. I want to talk about this and I want to hear and I want you to be able to apologize for the, for whatever. And, and, and <laughs> look, it's real. It's real. It's like, what, what are we trying to teach our boys? Like we need to, we need as men, we need to take responsibility for this. And, and, um, and so we stood out there and our boys are over there waiting and some boys are over there waiting and we just stood there and we had this, this conversation that was um, super important in that moment and we worked through the things. And, and I'll tell you, I walked away and I was like, man, that was, that was rad, but it didn't feel, it didn't feel totally great. And, um, and so about halfway through the week, I got a phone call from this, this guy and he was like, you know what, man, I really need to talk. And I was like, okay, let's talk. And so we spent about probably 30 minutes on the phone, just loving on each other, appreciating each other, making sure that there was total forgiveness between each other, making sure that the air was cleared. We began to talk about just believing for what God has for our families, what God has for our friendships, what God has for our boys and their schools and what they get to see in the future and their sports. And like God is doing something and the enemy is trying to undermine that over something small. But inconvenient conviction requires inconvenient obedience. And I think it's so often that we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we go, oh, I'll, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. I'll get to that. But to stand out there in the rain and make sure it's right opens the door for this other conversation to happen where you go from saying like, oh, I was friends with this guy to actually being able to say, no, now I am deeply connected with this guy. And that's a powerful thing about what God wants to do when we're willing. Again, I'm not spraying in my shoulder, patting myself on the back. I just want you to hear the story of what it looks like when we're willing to say, hey, I'm gonna take the extra step to make sure that this is healthy and that this is right. This is what God wants to do. Matthew 5, 24. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift therefore before the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift, says Jesus. Talk about inconvenient conviction and inconvenient obedience. I do think that he misspoke because it should say, if someone, or if you have something against someone, you should go and make that right, right? Like if you have something against somebody, and you're coming to worship and to lay down your, uh, your, your offering, you should go make that right because you have something against somebody. That's not a way to approach the presence of the Lord, right? Right. But what it says is, if you remember that someone has something against you, that's dumb. <laughs> this, is the, this is the kingdom that we don't want. 
This is the kingdom that goes against everything that we are. And when we step into it, it so powerfully refines us and sanctifies us if we step into this kingdom and go, wait, if someone has something against me, I am to pursue them? That doesn't make sense. And understand, please understand that contextually that Jesus wasn't talking to you and me because we no longer bring offerings to the temple and to the priests and all of that stuff. And that Jesus was, was preaching an extremely disruptive message to those that were still caught in an old covenant system. So understanding the passage and understanding the context, it's okay to be annoyed by it because that's what Jesus was trying to do for those that heard him say that. Of like, yes, if I had something against somebody, I would totally go and make it right with them. And Jesus is like, you know what you should do? If you know that somebody has something against you, you should go pursue reconciliation with them and then come back. And they're like, what? Because <laughs> the religious will go to the minimum and check the box and make a big deal about it. But Jesus is saying, what is the goal of the Father's heart? Let's actually enter into that that doesn't stop at a checked box, but actually takes us into the kingdom of what he's trying to accomplish within a relationship. That's what Jesus was trying to do in disrupting religion in that message. But Jesus was always the pursuer of broken relationships throughout creation and throughout humanity. If we want to be like Jesus, we don't get to just stand there and say, I'm not, I don't have anything against anybody. They all have things against me, Jesus. I'm cool, I'm okay. But Jesus is saying, if you wanna be like me, I am the pursuer of those who turn their back on me and broke relationship with me, even to the point that I came and died, that they might live. Pursuing reconciliation is inconvenient and pursuing reconciliation means I have to be like Jesus and that if I remember that someone has something against me and I can do something, anything to step into reconciliation and make a bridge for that person to walk across, I'm instructed to have that kind of heart towards people. As we were praying for this message the other day, Pete, in our prayer time, Pete prayed this. He said, Jesus, you are always so courageous with your heart. And I think that's what we see in the courage of Jesus to pursue people to have turned their back on him. To not be like, oh, when you, when you figure it out, you can come back. But to continue to pursue is courageous with his heart. He pursues the people that we want to blame and excuse for staying where we are. I went to a unity gathering yesterday. You guys saw the some of the posts that we had about it, just this powerful time of, of worship together is in unity around for the churches, for the body of Christ. And, um, and I tell you, I'll tell you, I didn't want to go to that um, because I knew that in going to that, I was going to encounter people who I have strained and challenging relationships with. And so it would have been easy for me to just choose to be like, hey, I am all for unity. I love that our worship team and our leaders are there. I love that this is happening and that this is taking place. But I don't want to go because there are people who, who, who I, I'm in a strained place with. And I begin to ask myself, why don't I want to go to this place where I'm going to encounter people where there is relational strain? Because I like my story and I like remaining in it. You like your story and you like remaining in it. And I thought about Jonah and, and, and Jonah, if you remember back to Jonah, 
back in the Old Testament. It's this story of a, of a guy who um, God commissions him with going to these people called the Ninevites who were historically just terrible people. And, um, and, and Jonah doesn't want to go. And at the end of the story, God gets him where he was trying to get him to go. And, uh, and, he, and God's having this conversation with him. And he goes, he goes why didn't you go? Why didn't you want to go where I was asking you to go? And he said this, this is why I was so quick to flee towards Tarshish. Tarshish, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. The reason I didn't want to go to that unity gathering is because I know that God would challenge me to extend grace and mercy and compassion to people that I would rather feel justified in holding at a distance and remaining unreconciled with. God, it's because I know how gracious you are that I want to avoid those people because I know that if I interact with them, you're going to require me to step into your kingdom instead of remaining in my offense. And I know that you're gracious and I know that you're going to start restoring that relationship and that just frustrates me. <laughs> because what if they never apologize? What if they never see how they hurt me? What if they never this? What if I... <laughs> God... Because I know how gracious you are towards us, towards our relationships. I don't want to join you in that. I would rather stay in this place. And sure enough, before I had 10 feet onto the property, before I got out of my car, I ran into one person. Before I walked around the, before I walked around the corner, there was another person running to embrace me and just weeping in my arms. And before I could walk 10 feet into the worship area, I was bumping into the person, another one of these people. And they turned around and were like, oh, who's behind me? Oh, it's you. And I got to just hug them and love them. God, it's because you're so gracious that I hesitate to step in because I want my offenses to be absolved. I want my hurts to be recognized. I want people to be like, I so wronged you. We did the wrong thing. We did this. Let's all take out a paper, a newspaper article and say how awesome you are and how bad we are. I want to be vindicated and justified. But I know how gracious and powerful you are, and I see it, and I will tell you that it feels so much better to hold someone in your arms, weeping and reconnecting with them, than to feel validated in holding an offense. And if I have to choose one again and again and again and again, I will choose the reconciliation over the holding of an offense. The last thing I want to share with you, and then I'm going to pray over these, and then we're going to get into Galatians 3 next week. This is like the, this is your Selah between Galatians 2 and Galatians 3. It all ties together. <laughs> How should I walk out reconciliation and relational disconnect? What do I do, you ask? I don't know. Sorry. I know you're like, it's kind of your job to know. I think we pay you to tell us what we are supposed to do. <laughs> but as Paul is going to talk to us about in Galatians chapter 3, he says, oh, are you so foolish that you are trying to finish in human effort what I began in the Spirit? And all of Galatians chapter 3 is talking about living a lifestyle of belief and pliability 
to the spirit of the living God that is in us and upon us and moving through us. And so if you were to tell me, I have these five relationships that are either strained or broken or hurting, and you brought them to me, I would say, take them to the Lord. Understand this, that of those five relationships, the spirit of God will probably give you five different things to do for each one of them because he is working individually in each one of those relationships. I cannot just take a scripture verse and slap it on top of every single one of your relationships and say, do that, do that, do that, do that, do that. If I can invite you into anything, it is to say, God, I'm not gonna try to do in the flesh what you have begun in the spirit. I will listen to you every step of every relationship that you are convicting me of or bringing onto my heart or making known to me that I need to step out of. That we would learn through this that he wants to speak uniquely and lead us uniquely in every single relationship and that through that journey, we are learning dependence over the destination that says, oh, I just want the relationship fixed. There is a journey and in that journey, you're going to have to learn to be dependent upon the spirit of God every step of the way. How do I make this phone call? How do I approach this conversation? How do I pray for this person? How do I posture my life? Is it time for me to go to them or is it still time for me to remain in the safety of what you're doing in this place? Is it time for me to partner with you in expressing forgiveness to them? Or is this just a season where I'm learning forgiveness just between you and I? What is it that you would have me do? And that dependence that you learn upon the Spirit of God is going to pay dividends in every area of your life because he isn't just about reconciling the relationship. He is about creating Christ-likeness in you through to the destination of that taking place. Amen? Amen. All right. I love you guys so much. I so appreciate this. For those that put names and situations in this basket, um, I'm going to pray for them. For those of you that weren't here last week, I just want you to hold that person relationship place in your heart and just understand that you are being prayed for just as much as anyone else who has put a name in this basket. When we're done, um, you are free to go get your kids. The youth are through there. The kids are through there. We're going to turn on some music, and I would invite you to remain in this place in prayer. I would invite you to remain in this place of uh, to take communion for a few minutes if you would like to, to just remember the completed work of Christ that we are believing on and polling on for this stuff to take place. Jesus, we hold dear and sacred each one of these names and those that are represented here and those that aren't represented here that people are just holding in their hearts and minds. We declare, God, that you are a God of reconciliation. And if it can never come out in a reconciled relationship, I know that you wanna do a work in us of reconciled hearts. So first begin with us. Let our hearts be reconciled to people before we even take a step of practical reconciliation. Just teach us how to have your perspective. Allow your conviction to come deep upon our hearts, God, that we would respond for places where we have allowed bitterness or gossip or stories or untruths or our perspective to be king on the throne over this relationship. We relinquish the throne and we ask that you would sit upon it and that we would have your heart and your perspective and your kingdom would come upon these relationships, God. We ask for those that need an absolute miracle. God, that you, by your supernatural means, supernatural power, would do miracles in relationships where every human effort has been expended and years have been waited. We need a miracle, God, and so we ask for miracles. God, where there needs to be repentance in our hearts for things that we have done that have caused the fragments of these relationships, we stand before you and we allow your conviction to come deep upon our hearts, not that we would receive shame, but that we would receive shaping 
into your image and into your heart. We thank you, God, that you are doing a deep work of reconciliation in this day and age of the church. And while we wish that it would be people coming to us and fixing things with us, we hear your instruction that says if we are to come before you, that we are also to be people who inconveniently pursue reconciliation for those that have things against us. And that it would begin with us, it would begin here, and it would flow out from this place into every life, into every family, into every story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Love you guys. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time. Like I said, we'll turn on some music. We'll have some communion. You can go get your kiddos.